morning, everybody. How you doing? All right. Let's see if we can get this going. All right. Well, if you're visiting with us, to those who are online, my name is Michael London, and I serve here as one of the evangelists, and so I'm so proud to be a part of this ministry center. Well, we have been in the book of Hebrews, and we will continue to be in the book of Hebrews to the end of the year. This morning, our sermon covers a larger portion of the letter of Hebrews. It covers chapter 6, verse 13, through chapter 10, verse 18. Now, don't worry, we won't read all of that today, but I do want to encourage you to go back on your own and to read these passages to gain your convictions, to gain whatever God, the Holy Spirit, has for yourself. You know, as we go through the letter of Hebrews, it's been mentioned that there are more Old Testament quotations than any other New Testament book in the letter of Hebrews. And so the author is writing to an audience that would be familiar with such passages or such stories from the Old Testament. Today, we're going to talk about the promises of God. Better promises. Let me ask you this. Have you ever said, I promise to whatever? Have you ever said, I will never do X, Y, and Z again? Have you ever said, on everything I love, Have you ever said, I put this on my kids? (laughs) Have you ever said, on my mama? Here's the funny part. I don't think I've ever heard anybody say, I put that on my daddy. The point I'm trying to make is, throughout our lifetimes, we've all made these promises. Let me ask you this. How does it feel when somebody makes a promise to you and they don't keep it? Have you ever experienced that? Let me ask this on the other end. Have you ever made a promise to someone and you didn't keep it? We all have experienced this on both ends. This morning, I want to talk about how God, when he makes promises, he never breaks them. And that's the promises we want to, we can always trust. We can always rely on. Go ahead and turn your Bibles over to Hebrews chapter 6. We got a lot to cover, like I said before, and I'm trying to get through this in a timely manner. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13, beginning in verse 13, we'll go to 20, and it says, when God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, 
Abraham received what was promised. People swear by someone greater than themselves. And the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. When we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure, it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. You know, a couple of things that this passage says about God. One, God makes promises. Just like you and me. He says, I promise. He says there's some things that he will do or he won't do. God made promises to Abraham. Another thing that says about God is that there is nobody greater than God that he could say on this person, I make my oath. See, for you and I, there is always somebody greater. And whether you agree with that person's uh, thought about who was greater or not, for them, there is always somebody greater. But for God, he says, there's nobody greater than me. I can't say I'm going to put this on everything I love because there's nobody greater than me. So all you have, when I say I'm going to do something, all you have is it's me. It's me. He confirmed his promises with an oath. And then it says, it is impossible for God to lie. Think about that for a moment. Think about that in accordance with your own character. I would love not to ever lie. But my sinful nature, my sinful nature always puts me in a position to lie. But for God, this isn't about he just has the strongest of wills. God is incapable of lying. His nature, his character prevents him from lying. He cannot lie. You ever seen the movie Liar, Liar? (laughs) Jim Carrey has to go an entire day without telling a lie. I mean, he's going into convulsions. One of the funniest scenes is when he had to tell that secretary about the picture frame that he bought her. But think about that for a moment. Think about what your life would look like if lying wasn't an option. Think about that for a moment. To your spouse, to your kids, to your boss, 
to your brother, your sister, your minister. Even the little lies we tell ourselves. You ever told somebody you fine and you're not? <laughs> How you doing? I'm fine. I was just asked that this morning. And I had to go back and say, you know what, bro? I'm having a hard day today. <laughs> I got some neighbor issues going on. I'm having a hard day this morning. But it's such, this is how deep our sinful nature goes. That even with the simplest of questions of how you doing, I'm fine. And if you say that and you're not, that's a lie. But for God, if you ask God how he's doing, he'll never lie. This is, I'm building the case because when it comes to the promises of God, them being built on who he is, he is someone you can always trust. It says Jesus enters the sanctuary on our behalf. The true sanctuary. So what are some things we need to keep in mind about this letter? It's important to keep in mind that the Hebrew writer is addressing a group of disciples who are having a very difficult time persevering through their challenges. And so this section that we just read, it begins with Abraham and the amazing example of what faithfulness looks like to the promises of God. What's the backdrop of this? Well, the backdrop of this story, you can go back and read it on your own time, but it's Genesis 22 through 1 through 8, where Abraham was told by God to sacrifice his own son by his own hands that he waited decades to receive. Think about that. God calls Abraham. Abraham and Sarah never had a child. They've tried they wanted, they dreamed, and then God says, I am going to bless you with your own child. And then finally, God blesses Abraham, he gives him a child, and then he says, now go sacrifice it. What would you really do in that position? You have been waiting for decades for something, God gives it to you, and then he says, now go give it up. And so Abraham, he treks out, he takes his son, and the son even asks, hey, where's the sacrifice? Where's the lamb we're going to kill? And daddy goes, oh, the Lord will provide. Don't worry about that. Now, we're still walking up this mountain, and we're getting closer to the altar, and I don't see a lamb, a donkey, a nothing. Now, we're laughing, but think about this, because the scripture says that Abraham bound his own son. Think about that. Wait a minute, Daddy, what are we doing? Wait a minute, Daddy, what are we doing? Abraham was convinced in his own mind. If God told me to do it, and he says that I'm going to have a child that I'm going to have many descendants through, 
Whatever it is that I'm about to do right here, God is going to work it out. He had to be faithful to God's promise. He had to be faithful to God. Because the promise was built on God, his character, who he is. Does this make sense? God wanted to make his unchanging nature of his purpose very clear. So he swears by himself. It's impossible for him to lie. Consider some of the other promises that God made to Abraham. Right? I don't know if I have these. Genesis 12.7, when he says, I'm going to promise to give you the land of Canaan. He said, to your offspring, I will give this land. Genesis 17, 5, 6, when he says, you will have, many nations will come from you. Kings will come from you. Genesis 18, 18, when he says, all nations will be blessed through you. God was talking about us. During the time of Abraham, God was talking about the gospel and those who would be in a relationship with him for generations to come. Whether Abraham realized that or not, God was already thinking about you and me. And saying they will be blessed through you. They will, Gentiles will become my people through you. You say, how was that true? You ever read Galatians 3, verse 7 through 8? It says, understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Who in here has faith in God? Then the passage has become true. We are Abraham's children by faith. It says, scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, not by law, by faith. And announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. Man, God already telling secrets all at the beginning. Guess what I'm going to do? I'm going I'm to bless Mike London through you. Now, the scripture didn't say Mike London in there, but God had me in mind. And so what was Abraham willing to endure because of the promise that God had made to him? Or the promises that God had made to him? Hebrews 11a says he had to travel without knowing where he was going. He was willing to go somewhere that he didn't fully understand where he was going because God said, I'm going to do this for you. I don't like going anywhere in my car without turning on the GPS. I got to know where I'm going. Where we going? What we doing? That's how we are. What we doing? Where we going? I want to know everything up front. He had to face a famine. God told him, I'm going to get you to this land. I'm going to promise land. And he get there, everybody's starving. Is this what you promised me? Hunger? Yeah. 
Fear of his life being taken, Genesis 12, 12. Extended family tension, Genesis 13. Going to war, Genesis 4. Marriage conflicts, Genesis 16. Aging and wondering about his inheritance, Genesis 15. So here's the tie-in. How does this tie to lordship? We give our allegiances to people, things, and causes for way fewer guarantees. We accept lesser promises and can do and follow some things based on no real assurances. God has never defaulted on a promise. He never failed to do what he said. You know, it has been said somewhere that the promises of God are just as good as ready money any day. God is the God of promise. Faith involves trusting the promises of God. God makes a promise Faith believes it, hope anticipates it, patience quietly waits for it. How are you with the promises of God? Does that describe you? I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't got the preaching and I got to click some stuff, but that's okay. <laughs> God promises a better priest. Let's read Hebrews chapter 7, verse 20 through 24. It says, and it was not without an oath. Others became priests without any oath. But he became a priest with an oath when God said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. Now there have been Many of those priests, since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. You know, prior to this, the author speaks in great detail about this priest of Melchizedek. His name means kings of, king of righteousness and king of salam or king of peace. He was the priest of God most high. There's not much in the Bible that talks about Melchizedek. He's got, a, he's got a story or narrative, short narrative in the Old Testament. But the point of all of this writer going through this great detail of Melchizedek is to show that Melchizedek was just a copy. He was someone that would point to the true, the real priest who lives forever. Now, although the Bible doesn't speak of his ancestry and his mother and his father, Melchizedek was just a human being just like you and me. He was born and he died. But Jesus is the priest that lives forever. It's funny that Kerry talked about, I don't see anybody up, up here with a lamb and a bird and a pigeon and some grain and some oil and all of that type of stuff. See, in the Old Testament, the Israelites, they went to the priest to confess their sins and they sacrificed all these things and all these animals and all these, these materials. And the priest, before he even could forgive the people of their sins, he had to sacrifice for his own sins. See, that's, that can get lost on us today. 
See, you don't come in here into a church. You don't even come to me and room or any other minister or evangelist with all of these gifts that says, hey, I need you to go to God and have him forgive me of my sins. So I offer this to you. Praise God for that, because I would be like, look, take this back. I got my own drama <laughs> that I got to deal with. Right? See, that can get lost on, this, on us today, but understand for the believers of that day, that meant a lot. They went home like, man, I sacrificed, I gave my stuff, I should be good. But then what happens when the priest after priest after priest keeps dying? What happens if you couldn't get to the temple that day? Praise God for the priest of Jesus Christ who lives forever. Why is Jesus a better priest? One, he lives forever. Two, he is the guarantor of a better covenant. Three, he completely saves everyone who comes to him or comes to God through him. Jesus lives to intercede for us. Do you know what Jesus is doing in heaven right now? Interceding. Going to the Father on your behalf. When I came in this morning with a bad attitude because of my neighbor, and I got to get up here and preach, God like, look at he got to go down and preach. Jesus like, yeah, I know. But I die for that. And the Father goes, yeah, I know. Mike, get up there, preach the word. It's all love. Now repent, get rid of the bad attitude, but... It's all love. <laughs> Jesus sacrificed for our sins once and for all. Jesus cleanses our conscience from acts that lead to death. Do you understand that our actions contribute to a well-being conscience or a damaged conscience? Whether your conscience feels unstained or contaminated, it impacts your worship. This was the problem in the Old Testament. See, they would come and they would worship and they would offer their sacrifices, but yet many, if not all, still went home with a guilty conscience. And so it impacted their worship. They're given the gifts, they're given the sacrifices, but they're still going home guilty. And so when Jesus comes along, the true priest, he cleanses their conscience by, by giving them his spirit, helping them to live holy lives so when they do come to church and worship, they can clap freely. They can sing freely. They can serve God freely. I've told you this before many times. I've come up here years ago, and I had the priest just had an argument with Terry, and I'm just up here like, I'm so guilty. But if I repent and change of the things that's causing my conscience to be dirty, I can 
come up here and preach. I can come up here and sing. I can usher freely. Don't you want to experience serving God freely? Without guilt, without shame. Oh, come to the altar. I'm telling you guys, this, this is some deep stuff. I hope you guys are really, I hope us all are getting into this. Not you, but all of us. Do you look for something outside of Christ to cleanse your conscience? The bottle ain't going to do it. The stuff going up people's noses is not going to do it. Multiple sexual relationships ain't going to get it. Now, that's the negative side of things. Guess what? You giving all the money to the world won't cleanse a guilty conscience. You serving the poor, you do. Hey, it may help and it may make you feel better for the moment, but it doesn't do what Jesus could do. Which is to give you his spirit to help you not do the sinful acts that's dirtying up your conscience in the first place. Does that make sense? It's powerful stuff, guys. Go to Hebrews chapter 8. I'm almost done. God's promises of a better covenant. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 7. Check this out, guys. For if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. Verse nine, it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. Verse 10, this is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds, write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. This is powerful. You know what was the problem with the first covenant? The people. Now, let me be clear. I don't, I'm going to give you the definition of a covenant, not to insult your intelligence. But I think it's good for sometimes to just get back to what something really is. A covenant is a contractual agreement between God and a person or between human beings which required binding action from one or both parties. One party often had higher status in the arrangement. Let's be clear. Those who are Christians, you are in a covenant relationship with God. The two parties involved is God and you. You don't have or we don't have the higher status. God does. God sets the terms of the covenant or the contract. Now, I know, see, we hear, many of us, and myself included, we hear covenant relationship and 
For me, a lot of times, I get caught up in the relationship portion. But we forget, I am in a contract with God. God says, I promise to do this. Mike, you need to do this. I asked you earlier, who in here has broken a promise? See, God fought with the people. There's this saying, you got to hold up your end of the couch. Now, God don't, God can carry the whole couch by himself. But this is a relationship. And God says, I will forgive you. I will remember your sins no more. I will love you. Check this out. I was talking to Carrie Brown. I'm telling you, get some fellowship with Carrie Brown. I love her. <clears throat> but we were talking about this passage. And he said, man, it, the old covenant is God says, I'm going from being with you to being in you. See, before he was with them, he was in the he was in the cloud by day and the fire by night. He was always with the people. He, they had the laws, but that wasn't cutting it. They kept cheating. They kept committing adultery. They kept going back on their end of the agreement. And God says, you know what? You know what I got to do? I'm going to make a better covenant. Not because the old one is just bad. The old one was fine, but the people can't. They can't seem to get this. So I'm going to go even deeper. I'm going to go to being inside them. I'm going to go to giving my spirit to them. I'm going to go to putting my word, taking it off the tablets of stone, and I'm going to write it on their heart. I'm going to put it in their mind. You see how far God is willing to go? For you? For me? You know, another thing I thought about is do we know what God promises? We got to be careful, all of us, not to hold God accountable to something he never said. When he told Abraham, I will be your shield, he didn't say Abraham wouldn't have trouble. What's the point of a shield if you don't need something to block it? It would have been wrong for Abraham to say, well, you said I would never have trouble. But that's not what I said. I said I would be your shield. Let's not misinterpret shield with I should never go through anything. Do you know what God promised? Well, he said he would give me the desires of my heart. Keep that in context. Keep that in context. Context, that that does not mean that's a personal wish list. Well, I, I, I want the desire of my heart is to get married. The desire of my heart is to get this job. My desire of my heart is to have all this money. But that's not what that means. I've, I've heard that misused so many times. And then people 
unjustly, unrightly get mad at God because that doesn't come to fruition in their life. And God is going, but that's not what I said. We got to know the promises of God. All these promises are based on God and who he is. With God being within the worshiper, how does it impact how we would live for God in this life? If God lives inside you, how does it impact how you live? Where are you taking God? I'm going to keep it real. Where are we taking God? I know you may laugh at this, but are we taking God down to the boom, boom room? Where are we taking God? Where are we taking the Holy Spirit? Why is standing on the promises of God the, mess, the best means to help us persevere to the end? Should it not be because I can trust what he says? And this is why it's important why the Hebrew writer was reminding them of these promises. Because they were having a challenging time to continue in the faith. He had to call them back to what God had promised. He had to call them back to what God had said and reminding them, this is why you can persevere to the end. Why is knowing what God promised important in perseverance? Because if I'm going to continue in this faith, many of us have been in the faith for over 20 years. I'm seeing new Christians. I'm seeing old Christians. What will keep us faithful to the end? It should it not be what God has promised? What current challenge are you facing and what promise of God is going to help you to traverse them? Because you're going to have challenges. You're going to have trouble. I'm studying the Bible with a, guy, a, young, uh, a young man right now, and I was telling him, hey, we're going to have trouble. Now, the blessings of God are there, too. But Jesus, we know what he said. In this life, you will have trouble. It ain't because he's causing it. It's just because it's just life. But what will you stand on? So as we conclude, what are some actionable steps? I think Hebrews, write this down. Hebrews 10, verse 22 through 23. This writer says it clear. I don't have it on the screen, but he says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. Instead of fleeing and running from God, go near to him. It's amazing when we get hurt. I know for me when I get hurt, my tendency is I want to retreat. I want to run. I don't want to be close to anybody that's hurting me. I don't want to. But God's like, don't run from me. 
come near to me. He says, with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Secondly, he says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Hold to the hope that one day I will be with King Jesus. One day there will be no more tears. I'm studying, like I said, I'm studying the Bible with a young man, and we were talking about just how the old bodies won't inherit heaven. And he's a good-looking man, but I'm like, I don't know what that's going to look like when we go to heaven, though. I, you know, that's, that's cool for you now. <laughs> right? But I'm, and my thought is it's going to look even better. We got to hold on to the thoughts of being with God forever. Knowing that, man, I don't have to, I don't have to hope in heaven. We won't have to hope anymore. Because who hopes for what they already have? In heaven, I got you, Jesus. I see you for who you are. In heaven, who has to have faith? and believe in what they don't see because I'm looking at them. But all there is left for me to do is love them. To have the hope of worshiping and of seeing the saints of old, not only from the scriptures, but from our time. Kathy Clark, remember her? Remember Michelle's mom is Waller? Just, just just that wouldn't be the best part of heaven, but that would be a bonus. The best thing in heaven will be Jesus. But to see your loved ones, fellow saints, right there, that's got to be enough to say, I'm going to keep on going. To know that the saints in Hebrews 11, that those who have persevered, and although they didn't receive what has been promised, are cheering for us. To keep going. And, 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 and thinking, man, you guys have what we wanted, what we wasn't even clear about. You have God within you. Brothers and sisters, stand, let us stand on the promises of God. Because he doesn't lie. And it ain't because. He's just got a stronger will than the most of us or all of us. He's incapable of lying. And so you can stand on that. Walk out of here with your head held high. If you had a jacked up week, the Lord says, well, my son died for that. I forgive you. You just got to believe it. And walk out of here. Run out of here. Do a dance a jig. I mean... Do what you got to do. Amen? Let's stand on the promises of God. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we, uh, we, we come to you before your throne. We come to you clothed in Jesus. We come to you clothed in righteousness, and, and not a righteousness of our own, but the righteousness of your son. And we stand confident. We stand assured knowing that the work that your son Jesus did on the cross 
cleanses not only our conscience, but purifies us from all sin. Father, you have empowered us. You have placed your personal presence within inside of us so that we may walk and live in holiness. And because we are holy, because Jesus is holy, he is not ashamed to call us his brothers and his sisters. Jesus, we are grateful for your sacrifice on the cross. We are grateful for your love. Holy Spirit, continue to pour out the love that comes from the Father and the Son into our hearts. Holy Spirit, remind us of the promise. Help us to persevere. Help us to walk, to live joyfully with you. Father, when times get hard, when they get turbulent, let us be reminded that you are a God who walks with us, who will carry us through, who will get us to the end, who will finish the work that you have started. We love you, Holy Spirit. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.